Well, well, well. You found us again. Yeah. I bet you expect a rap now, right? Okay, why not? Yo, welcome back to another podcast intro. I've been known to spit rhymes like this, so here we go. Don't stress the amenities. My guest is Uncle Fess of the Extremities and Backburner Crew. Yes, that is true. Lay back, have a brew. St. Pat's was last Tuesday. You do not? Well, actually, I do say. The new videos on YouTube play is what you should do with it. Well, if you like things when I'm not podcasting, I like to write things exciting. Where should I go with the verse next? Beat Mason's beats, give you a hurt neck. Cause you can't control how much you nod to them Making the weekend more and more awesome Um, um, like when you get some dim sum It's yum, yo, give yourself a fist bump Cause you now tuned into the freshest show This weekend at Burgie's with Uncle Fess, yo Yo I am SJ the Word Burglar, aka Burgie And I appreciate you being here Appreciate you checking out last episode with Jesse Dangerously That was fun I had a great time. Jesse's what a what a great fella. Keeping in that same line of rap and backburner, since we got the new backburner album that just dropped, why not have the guy who's had his hands on more backburner songs literally than anyone else? DJ Uncle Fess. He is definitely in the building, and we are going to get into all kinds of rap historological hip-hoppery it's <laughs> from his days in the dirt roads our t- early time in the uh the the origins of backburner the props department all kinds of fun stuff we're gonna we're gonna really dig into that plus he's gonna share some tales about djing for a little group i like to call wu-tang clan you may know them why do i say it like that like woo Dang it is. <laughs> it just came out like that. Whoop, dang it is. <laughs> All right, I'm sorry. I, I will not do that ever again. <laughs> this is Weekend at Bergie's, the podcast where we hang out at my place. I'm Bergie, and we talk about music. We talk about comic books. We talk about video games. We talk about all the kind of stuff that we like to talk about on the weekend. Because you can't have a weekend at Bergie's without a weekend. Or a Bergie. Or a you, actually. So uh, I'm glad we got all three of those things. And we got a fest right on. So we do have guests sometimes. Sometimes we don't. This time we do. A lot of, a lot of cool episodes coming up. I'm not going to steer you wrong. Sorry, we've been on a little bit of a hiatus. I feel... I feel bad I couldn't have gotten this episode to you a bit sooner, but just we had to take a couple weeks off. I was working on finishing up the Backburner album. We shot that video. Go check out Bottle Caps. It's a night of debauchery caught on film with myself and all the Backburner crew. I think it turned out really well. Shout out to Dan Jardine, Kaylee McLennan, everybody, everybody involved in that whole project. It was a lot of fun, thanks to everyone who extraed in it, who came out, came to the show at Rancho. We'll be back at Rancho Relaxo in Toronto, Friday, April 10th, for the $5 Rap Show 5th anniversary. Can you believe we've been at it five years? Yeah. So please come out and celebrate with myself, more or less, and a whole bunch of special guests. It's going to be a lot of fun. Like these beats on the weekend. I'm feeling for my friends and family and loved ones in Halifax. I was out there shooting for bottle caps 
and hanging out with the fam. And there was a lot of snow then, but wow, there is even more snow now. So honestly, if you are there right now, take shovel breaks, okay? I'm serious. Shovel with care. Is that a Traveling Wilburys songs? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it should be. Shovel me with care. <laughs> the Traveling Chilburys. Huh? There you go. <laughs> no, no, no. Nobody's with me. Nobody's with me on that. Hallie, I love you. Also love this beat by our guest Uncle Fess. No less. And Ambition, it's off the Yo Snares and Claps mixtape, which actually came out on cassette. We'll, we'll talk to Fest about that. I'm glad we're back. We're going to be back on our monthly schedule. You're going to get at least one episode a weekend at Bergie's a month. If there's stuff that you want to hear, definitely drop us an email, weekendatbergies at gmail.com. I read every email, and I'm trying to get back to people. I know we keep saying we're going to do a mailbag. We will. I will be answering questions if you want to talk stuff. And we got a lot of stuff to talk about. Oh, and this, you know what the good thing about this winter the winter time in Canada is you can stay inside and work on stuff. I've been working on my new record. Very excited about that. And I've been sneaking in some episodes of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yeah. I'm finally doing it after years of being told I should watch Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I've given in. I'm doing it, seeing what what it's all about. I like Joss Whedon's stuff, okay? He's what he's done with Avengers was amazing. And so I said, all right, anybody who knows can handle the Avengers in a major motion picture. I'll, I'll check out a vampire TV show about some, some girls who stab some vampires and, and other stuff. <laughs> it's about so much more, guys. Oh, my gosh. You don't understand. Okay, Xander at first is annoying, but you kind of grow to like him. And then Buffy and Faith. Well, <laughs> that's a complicated thing. Don't even get me started about her and Angel's relationship. And, oh, man, I just watched the one where the mayor turns into a snake demon and then a, a school gets blowed up on him. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a good show. A little more relaxing than House of Cards I think House of Cards is a little intense it's an intense drama I enjoy it but I I do like to leave my brain at the door sometimes but not here my brain is yours <laughs> not Walking Dead wait am I going to say more Walking Dead references how many times do I have to tell you guys check out the Walking Dead comics because then you know what's going to happen in Alexandria I know I know. <laughs> and I'm just going to lord it over all of you. I know what's coming because I read the comics. That's right. Don't judge a book by its movie. <laughs> Where am I going with that? I'm going to get Uncle Fester. That's what. <laughs> so before I digress too much, you know him from the extremities. Backburner crew. He's... DJ'd for tons of people. You may have seen him in some of my videos, Croc Monsieur, Rhyme O'Clock. He's in the new Bottle Caps video, holding it down, showing his mad skills. He's a meticulous record collector, a fastidious record selector. He's a DJ we know and love as Uncle Fester. Stay tuned to the end. We always throw a little track on at the end. We've got a little treat for you. It's an oldie. Ha, 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 ha.
Uncle Fess. DJ. DJ Uncle Fess. What's up? In the house. This is awesome, man. Yeah. Thanks for coming by. Yeah, this is awesome. Um, it's the weekend at a Met Berkey. <laughs> this is the truth. This is a record. That's why we named the podcast that. Yeah, we. this is the uh, Jesse Didn't Get Treats episode. Because <laughs> I got some nice treats here. Yeah, and, we got uh, some treats. Yeah. We got some snacks. Yep. I have a treat to have you, an old pal. Yeah, this is great. Super homie. I mean, it's funny. I was thinking we go back probably 15 yeah, um, fifteen. I think I think it'd be about fifteen. That would be that would be my. I would throw that guess out there. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I met you at the Kyber or Mocha. Yeah, either I, Kyber or Mocha. Yeah. years ago. Yeah, I I I have a recollection. There's there's two shows actually that and I'm not sure which one I met you at. Um, and it was uh, it was definitely at an after party at Joe Run's DJ Joe Run Bombay's house. His studio apartment in the Kyber, which was not an apartment. Yeah, <laughs> and um, and I, but I can't remember for the life of me if it was after um, a Sage Francis Sebutone's ADM show at the I Mocha. I think it was. I think yeah. it was too, because I think we were at the Mocha and then we went up to the Kyber. Um, but around the same time, there was also that there was a Swollen Members Kyber show that also had an after party upstairs, and I also it had a similar sort of vibe where there was a, a million Halifax rap heads. Packed into a tiny little room. That's right. Yeah, no, I think I met you at the, it was that Sage Francis ADM yeah. show. Yep. And that was crazy because that was, I think, the first time Sage Francis played Halifax. Yeah. And this was before Sage Francis had really started oh, taking off. Oh, like, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. He didn't have a record label or any of that stuff. No, I remember trying to find his stuff after that was really hard for at least another year or so. And, and then finally something came out. It was like, oh, wow. You yeah. Know? And ADM, I'm not even sure where he's at now. Oh, yeah. Either. Yeah. No, he just was one of those dudes that had crazy raw talent and was like, kind of came up on like the Scribble Jam circuit. Right, right, know? right. And so. Scribble Jam, for people who don't know, was a hip hop festival. It was based in was it Cincinnati? Yeah, yeah. And a lot of lot of cats came yeah, out of there. It was a lot the, of guys. Yeah, it was like the it was like the biggest underground festival for a long time, and and for a certain amount of time, it was probably the best hip hop festival in North America. Yeah, yeah. And the different ones have come and gone, and it's not the same as it was. And there's a lot different. I mean, obviously, like uh, those paid dues festivals and Rock the Bells, those things are so so huge now. But this was like more of an underground thing, and more of like a and all four elements type of thing, and uh, it was when the, uh, those things didn't exist, right? Those festivals didn't exist. Um, yeah, that was a you know an interesting time where like dudes could get really get by on raw talent and get by and get booked and, and get known in the underground. Yeah, and that was a that was really the era. I mean, we're talking kind of mid to late '90s where yeah. really the underground rap scene has had exploded to a whole other level, yeah. and turntablism had really been yes. taking off. So yeah. you have with guys like uh, I guess Cubert. Uh, like Invisible Scratch Pickles, yep. probably The Executioners, Mr. Dibs maybe yeah, might have yeah, been around the, then. Yeah, like, 1200 Hobos started yeah, to come into effect. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I feel like that was a big a big movement in, in, in people finally paying attention to, to full turntablism and scratching and, and crazy styles, like more so than maybe, you know, in the late oh, yeah. 80s or oh, early yeah, 90s. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like all that stuff was really taken off and there was like a, and there was a really competitive vibe, like because um, battle rapping was really different then too. Like now, battle rapping is like uh, pre-written and there's no beat. And then it was you if you pre-wrote anything, you were considered totally whack. Yeah, you yeah. Had to, you had to come off the top of your head and be as dope as you could that way. Uh, and you had to follow the beat that the DJ was playing too. Um, and that had gotten really popular at the time. And uh, you know, so like they took all those things and sort of like made a really competitive weekend where people would really come and try to show and prove. I think that's really where a lot of that awesome vibe came from and a lot of that innovation came from was where people were um yeah just trying to do the 
to impress other people from around the North America, really. Oh yeah, to me, and that's what I mean. That's what freestyling is, and making it up as you go, and just coming with it and improvising and, and everything. You know, get a little slice of that banana bread there. I know this is incredible. Fess is getting some treats. You gotta have banana bread on the weekend, I my know. friend. You gotta have banana bread. So I, as a DJ though, where I was going with that turntablism stuff. I mean, you are known for your DJ skills, and you've been doing it for years and years. You started, you did emceeing. I mean, what what, what came first, the emceeing or DJing? Um, they uh, this DJing came first. DJing came first. Um, I started DJing with DJ Beef in late high school. Right, right. Word up, DJ Beef. DJ Beef. Shout, shout, shout out. out, man. Yeah, yeah. Shout out to DJ Beef. Hell yeah. Um, yeah, man. We, um, you know, Beef and I and another and another buddy of mine grew up like like we were like. That's who I discovered rap with was 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 beef, you know. We uh you know, we grew up loving the same stuff and going to check for tapes at Sam's the record man and like, you know, learning about which albums we wanted um in the back of rap pages or or the source magazine. That's you know? how yeah, that's the only way you could find that's out. The only way yeah. you could find out. <laughs> Absolutely. Um you know, I I was really lucky because I don't know if you remember this, but in Halifax, we got beamed BET for free. Yeah, yeah. In Nova Scotia, because of, there's there's such a prominent black population there, um, and BET was beamed up to Halifax. Uh, and I really believe that that between that and much music, you know, like BET had a three hour rap city every day. Yeah, and I remember in the mid and early '90s seeing that stuff. You know, I was seeing stuff that I wouldn't have been exposed to otherwise. Like I remember seeing the Coop's first video, like Fat yep. Cat, Big a Fish, and being like, "Okay, I'm going to go to Sam's and I'm going to tell them to bring this record in." And um, so we were really lucky that way. Like I, th- I feel like we sort of had an, a more advanced education than some other parts of Canada probably had at that time. Yeah, exactly. Because Rap City on Much Music was like once every Thursday. Yeah, and I mean that. Yeah, no, don't get it wrong. Rap City was dope. Yeah, and even at that time, Much Music you, you could see rap music, good underground rap music uh, at other times of the day. Oh yeah, just they played regular... Black Moon and Lords of the Underground. I remember that stuff yeah. coming on. Yeah, just like in regular rotation. Did you ever tape? I used to tape videos on a videotape oh. and then con- like hook up my. Tape, tape deck, deck. yeah, yeah RCA, tape, yeah. yeah, yeah. I was talking about that the other day. I forget yeah. who was telling that to. I think it was me and Relic were talking about that. Yeah, actually. that's how I got. I think like the first like Biggie stuff and oh, everything man. before before those tapes came out. And when you're a kid, you didn't have. You yeah, know. yeah. I mean, well, the thing is, is that the the large Professor Mad Scientist track when that came out on video, I like. I lost my my mind. Like when he had the turntables on his back and he put them on the top of the building and was DJing. And I like you could not like that only came out on a vinyl single, and I think maybe a CD single or something. Yeah, like that. yeah. But they weren't bringing that up here, um, so like that was one that I only had. A, I had that single on cassette, like dubbed off RCA off my VCR forever because like I loved that track. That track, track changed my life. And the only I had until like 2004, the only thing I had ever had it on was like a VHS tape and a, a cassette tape. Amazing. And didn't you hate that when you'd see a video version of a song and then you get the album and it wasn't the same song? Oh, I know. They changed it up. I think there was like a Craig Mack remix that there was a video for, but then there wasn't, it wasn't on the album, which that Craig Mack album's kind of hurting. But (laughs) (laughs) I just remember one of the beats sampled Days of Our Lives. It was like that dun 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 dun. I was like, that's kind of dope because, you know, I knew knew Days of Our Lives. I might have caught the odd episode with Stefano DeMera and. Marlena or whatever, John Black. I'm just picturing like I'm just picturing Craig Mack on Days of Our Lives. You know, like, you know, like boy, <laughs> flip boy all the time. Oh, uh, poor Craig Mack. He just got dropped like a bag of moldy tangerines. Oh man, man. Craig Mack. I think for that- those listening who don't remember Craig Mack, he was a rapper in the '90s who was on Bad Boy. 
He was supposed to be like he was the supposed to be big, the, yeah next big thing along with Biggie and, and then, then Biggie Puffy, blew yeah, up yeah. yeah and they dropped they yeah. dropped Craig Mack unfortunately yeah Craig Mack did not really have what it took I don't think yeah to- <laughs> I remember he had I liked his rhymes though like he he they were very simple and basic and they always made me you his know, voice like, was really cool I'm crazy like that glue <laughs> <laughs> I think that was my favorite line ever Craig Mack <laughs> I could see yeah that's that's a pretty amazing totally line. influenced my style actually now that I think about it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you heard it here first. I've been biting Craig Mack all these years. <laughs> you're, the, you're like advanced Craig Mack style. So yeah, taking it to the next, to the next degree. Craig Mack, do you remember? Do you remember Pudgy the Fat Bastard? Oh yeah. Like, yeah, man, I'm so- living fat, y'all. I think that was a single. <laughs> yeah, man. There's so many. That's when your name, you had to have the song that described your name. I mean, again, that's, I'm biting my styles off these guys, right? It's like, I got a, my name. I do the song that describes my name. And I just say my name a lot. It's all in the 90s. All that's yeah, all our, that, all our history. And you, you and I, I mean, we came up together. I remember, well, with Backburn, I want to get into that for sure. And just with my early stuff, I remember you really came through and helped me out. And remember, we went to Shelburne and recorded a whole bunch of tracks because you were out. Were you doing a school out there with Dex? Yeah, me and Dexter were. Um, Shout out Dexter Doolittle. Yeah, what up, Dex? We're doing a, a sound. Yeah, we all went to. Well, me and Kills and Dex lived together in Halifax, and we are all at that time. We're doing. We're trying to get into recording and making beats and. Um, you know, Kills had been into doing some recording and to some rock stuff before he came out to Halifax. And and uh, when Kills and I met at King's University, yeah, he'll tell you, I, I, I educated him on, on rap music, but he caught on real, real fast. Um, and actually, it's really funny. One of the albums that really turned him into a major, major rap fan was the Goods album, Secondary Education. Yeah, it was a great record. Yeah, it's a local Halifax rap album, Gordski, Kunga 9. Um, and yeah, like he to this day credits that album as like being one of his like major reasons that he turned to to rap music so heavily, which I think is really interesting. Yeah, um, definitely. No, the Goods had a major, major influence back then, and those yeah. guys were hustling. They were hustled so yeah. hard. Yeah, yeah. Gorski's such a good producer. Oh. Like, I think I think the production on that really really changed the way Kills viewed. Oh yeah, Kunga had a great voice. Like it yeah. was just a great combo. Yeah, you know, shout out the Goods for sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, I mean, the Kills like I sort of like. Uh, introduced him to rap and he got obsessed with it and we started to collaborate and do lots of stuff and and he was sort of uh, we were both had been into record like doing home recordings and stuff and then when me and him and Dex moved in the next year together we all sort of were trying to start this new thing make beats do some recordings um, you know Andrew played different instruments so we thought you know we had this kind of versatile crew of guys who could maybe make some fun music and you know we were all interested in um, in making rap music and stuff like that at the time um, I guess it was just very shortly after that, like we were all living together for a year or two years, um, and then we uh, decided that we would. I think it was probably three years in Halifax. Because one year, one year, the first year, and then two years where Kills lived on Chibokto. And that's where Backburner really got started. Right, right. Um, but then after that, we all decided we were going to do it seriously and take it, do it for a living. And uh, Kills came back to Toronto to go to the Harris Institute to take in audio engineering. Dex and I went down to Shelburne to Recording Arts Nova Scotia and uh, took audio engineering there. And that's where you came down and we did some recording there. Yeah, yeah. I remember we needed a good studio and me and Beat Mason, we came in. That was a fun weekend. I think we recorded like 90% of my record there that weekend. Yeah, it was great, you know, like... Because we were we we had access to professional studios, and that was that was the first time I had. Because I mean, you and I had met before, and we had known each other, but that was the first time I met Beat Mason. Right, right. Um, so that was like my introduction to to Beat Mason, and um, yeah, and yeah, it's really it's really weird to think that that happened. Yeah. So you and Kills were when you started out Backburner. It was basically 
because Jesse and I were just talking about this. We're kind of there's like a backburner theme going along the podcast for these episodes, so it's kind of fun. Because backburner started, I, I guess, with you and Kills and Dirt, like you and Process from Dirt Roads, yep. right? And the Verbals, where Frank Deluxe was yep. around, and Thesis. Yep. Like, how do how do you remember it first sort of coming here's together my, with here's backburner? The, here's the timeline that I that I remember. It was. Me, Dex, and Kills in the beginning. It wasn't called Backburner at that time, obviously. It was just the three of us trying to. That's when we lived on Oxford Street in Halifax. And uh, Process lived a couple streets over at the time. And he was an MC. And he-, he was an MC, yep. And uh, and and uh, Frank Deluxe, because um, we had all gone to King's the year before. Uh, Frank Deluxe, uh, Kills, and myself, we had all been at King's University, so we knew of each other. And Frankie lived up on Shabakto. Um, and through the people that he was living with, he met an MC from Shelburne named Jay Busy, uh, and they would throw house parties up there. Um, and we met this guy, Process, and I actually don't, for the life of me, remember how I met Glenn, like how he came into our circle. Glenn, just, aka Process, AKA, yeah, yeah, AKA Process. Sorry, um, I think it might have even was it through you even. Because we met you and Jesse around the same time. Like it was all when we lived on Oxford. That year we met a lot of people. No one was crew yet, but. I think I remember yeah. hearing about Glenn through you first, through the dregs and you. Yeah, yeah. Well, you – I remember I I think when I first met you at that – at the after party, yeah. you were with Glenn, I think. Or maybe not. Maybe you weren't with Glenn then. Uh-huh. And I knew Glenn independently. I think we both – because Glenn, a.k.a. Process, yeah. he was a big hip-hop head, yeah, Halley he hip-hop. He was everywhere. Anywhere and everywhere. Yeah, yeah, you'd see him rapping at the yeah. library. You know, yeah. shout out Process for yeah. sure, man. Yeah, it's, he been was, a, it's been a minute. Absolutely, man. I mean uh, – and I, yeah, I mean, it could have just been that we just, oh, you know who, where I met, I remember exactly where I met Process now. My first year at University of Kings, uh, my friend Matt Wood, uh, a.k.a. The Sauce, he's a longtime homie of uh, some of the some of the dudes in the Backburner crew, he went to Kings there, um, and he knew, when we became friends and saw how much we were into hip-hop, he said, I know a guy you guys need to meet. And that was Process. That was, yeah. Uh, and he told us a story about how Process used to go to the Tim Hortons in Tantala in this rural community outside of Halifax. And he used to like like f- sit down at the, the table with the volunteer firemen and just start rapping at them. <laughs> <laughs> he would just start freestyling to He'd them. He'd just rap at them, yeah. yeah. I remember him showing up at my house in the, and I'd be eating lunch and my, with my mom was in the kitchen. And he'd just sit down like, yo, let's start freestyling right now at the table. And like the man loved rapping and freestyling all the time. I'd be working at the comic shop and he'd come in and just start rapping while I'm trying to serve customers. And uh, he just loved to rap. Man, he yeah, he absolutely did. And um he wrote like a maniac. He's one of these guys that got better every time he wrote. Yeah. Um, yeah, Glenn was Glenn was the man. So around that time, yeah, you're jogging my memory. So I would have met him as, around that time as well. So when um, Frankie and people in his house would throw parties, they would have like people come up and rap. Frankie was starting to do to get into rapping at the time, and and we knew process. So we all would go over there, and we'd rap at these house parties, and then uh, people would start to come over to our house to like write some stuff on Oxford, and that's how we sort of like – we met, you know, process through that way. We met Jay Busy at these parties, uh, and uh, Jess, uh, Jesse at the time was uh, just done uh, Bladed Sun with Ginsu and the Sentinels. Yep. Um, and you know, like just the, like, so like, it was kind of like you and Process and Jesse. We met just through being part of the local scene. Yep. Yep. And Frankie through Kings, and then Jay Busy through Frankie, and then the year after that, uh, when Kills moved in Shibukto, he we made a recording booth in his downstairs basement apartment. Uh, and then those people that we had sort of made contact with over that last year started to come in there to do some recording. Uh, like you, yep. Jesse, 
process and I and Dex had formed a group by that point called the Dirt Roads, um, where Dex was doing the beats and we were and, and process when I were rhyming. I still like I actually say it and it sounds so weird to me. Well, yeah, you a lot of people may not know you were rhyming. Now you remember this CD? Oh, God, I yeah, was showing I this do. to these. I was looking for. I was trying to dig up my Dirt Road CD. It's over at yeah. my parents' place. But yeah, yeah, this is yeah. SJ just handed me the Big Talk compilation. It's the first back. I guess it's probably it's the first real presence of Backburner. Yeah. It's, and I remember that was yeah. you guys had that for sale at like Revolution Records. I think there was some on the shelf there. Yeah. And, uh, so you're you rap on here and the verbals and there's yep. some thesis. Yeah, Dirt Road thesis. Dexter Frank Deluxe is on here. Who else is on here? Um, the uh, Matt Labatt is on here. Matt, that Matt Labatt, MC Frank Deluxe, Left Man track is like, I think that's probably my favorite track on here. Love yeah. that track. I, I like that Destination Minerva. I always dug yeah. that track too. Yeah, that's cool. Man. That yeah. beat's wow. crazy. Nova Sapiens, Java, yeah. and Process. Yeah, man. Yinsu. Good stuff. Yeah. yeah. Good. Yeah, really good stuff on here. Wow, it's such a, such a blast of the past. But yeah, this was this was that time, man. This is, was exactly that time. When and we recorded this at at Shibukto when when Kills put it in there and that's really when Backburner started was yeah. right then like it's kind of like a year of kind of meeting people and and finding like minded people and uh, and then when he got settled in, in that home studio spot um, I lived like less than a block away uh, and Dex was in Dartmouth but had a car and uh, and it just became the hub for what we were doing we were all doing it, I remember we were doing some shows at Hell's Kitchen Tribeca Mocha Kyber obviously Gus's Pub all over the Nice. All over the place, yeah. And then Frankie brought in his Newfoundland collect connections with yeah. uh, Johnny Hardcore moved in down to Halifax. Frankie was like, "You got to come if you want to do rap. You got to come down here." And, and Man Alive from the Verbals got associated because of, of their group that they had. And yeah, um, I remember when Johnny came on the scene, everyone was like, "This guy's a crazy MC." And yeah. he was just everyone was talking about Johnny Hardcore. Yeah. And that first Johnny, I mean, Johnny put out that one record yeah. that was so good. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because. Um, you know, I think, I mean, Johnny and Jay Busy at that time really did a lot for our crew because I think that when you're a new crew coming up, especially in Halifax, where it was a really small, tight-knit, but really high, there was a high bar for how good you had to be. And people were really, I mean, you, there was a time, man, where you, like, you were really judged and you were really held to a certain standard and you had to, like, pay your dues and you really had to be on a certain level in order to be accepted in the scene, you know? Like, cats were not just going to be like, okay, you're, like, you know, you really there was some politics there. Oh yeah, like, definitely. You know, I mean, there's still there's always politics. Yeah, I think absolutely. there still is, but yeah. But you know, it was a you know I just I remember uh, there was a time where people were like, um, you know, who are these new guys? And um, you know, we didn't we weren't really doing like straight like that time like rap was really really poppy at that time, and that was like when rap first went really poppy, and a lot of us were just trying to find our own lane. I don't think a lot of people uh, knew what to make of us or how, or how to accept us at the, in the beginning, you know. Yeah. And um and I think that Busy and and Johnny like they they were both such like classical razor sharp. Um, not that everyone else in the crew isn't, but you know what I mean. Like it was they were easier to digest for other people. Yeah. They they were more punchline like straight up like um, you're a bad example because you're like you're the king of the punchlines, but <laughs> but you know what I mean. Like it was like it was just a little bit it was just a little bit less left field for people at the time. And uh, and Johnny was. Man, when he came into town, he was a heavyweight man. Like yeah. he, he, he really like had a great voice and was a dope rhymer and was not scared to say anything to anybody. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and really like made his mark and like kind of kind of was like, this is my these are my people, this is my crew. Like like you oh know. yeah, Johnny Arco, yeah, yeah. he's so, legendary. Like, yeah, absolutely. Shout out man. Johnny for sure, man. So I mean, Johnny is like 
I mean, he was our all-star at that time. I really, truly believe that when he came to town and he was like our our big free agent signing almost at the time, you know what I mean? Well, what I loved about the crew and what what attracted me to, you know, being a part of it when it it was first come together and, you know, all these years later is everybody had their own style and everybody really encouraged doing different styles and just sort of developing, right? So you would put, like, Busy and Thesis on a track together would be completely different, but so skilled in their own way, you know, or I always took so much pride in that man as our crew. Like, and I still to this day, man, like, um, like when the, when heat wave came out, you know, that's long after our crew's established. And that's like a, you know, that's like a well into our crew's history and discography. But when you, you look at a track like heat wave, man, like we have such a diverse sounding crew, you know what I mean? Like we really, it's like, it's a, uh, and that's one that's one thing I've always like really really been proud about for our crew, and it's always been that way. Is that like it's just dudes who love rap music, and we're not scared to be any style of rap music. You know, like the the love is apparent, and the skill is apparent, and um, you know, and the connection comes from uh, you know, our love of each other's music, and yeah. uh, and the fact that we just all are massive rap geeks. You know, yeah. like we all like love to talk shop, and we all know a lot, and you know that that common thread like pulled us together. You know, well, I mean, I mean, I know we're we're patting each other's backs but it's true and i get more excited when it, whenever a new release comes out sorry, from just, <laughs> dropping coasters dropping coasters over here <laughs> those coasters you know wherever i've i've lived i've always had coasters my mom used to say you know what you can drink you can do drugs you can have sex just use coasters wow <laughs> that's like that keeps me that keeps me grounded in life shout out mom yeah. uh, she i love my mom and, my girlfriend's uh, gonna and, wonder why like why i come home with like uh, a million coasters <laughs> hey no rings on my tables man <laughs> uh yeah with with the crew i know we're just sort of you know we're bigging up our own crew but it's true i get more excited when a new backburner release comes out if i if i hear there's new extremities or a new timbuktu or socks or thesis or johnny's doing something or whatever like i get more excited to hear new tracks from our crew than anybody else because it's obviously we're we're closer to that music, but just hearing where where people are taking things now, which brings me to Eclipse, the new record, because you mm-hmm. laced up cuts like crazy. When people hear this album, like DJ cuts are to me, you can't put out a rap album without having cuts on it. And Fess, you you destroyed this album. Oh, thank with you. The cuts, yeah, yeah they, well, they I mean, sound it, crazy. It wasn't hard, you know. When I got the record, it's uh, um, you know, for people who are wondering what it's going to be like, I mean. There's no way this album would be put out if it wasn't Head and Shoulders Above uh, Heat Wave. So if you're a fan of Heat Wave, you're in for a real treat, I think. Um, and yeah, everyone is just like a little bit sharper, a little bit more experienced, a little bit better. And uh, and things sound amazing. And uh, the album sounds really cohesive. And the beat the beats are incredible. They're just so pounding. And like it's such a fun record. And yeah, it wasn't hard to get insp- inspired to do the cuts. Right. It's good. It's good. So you and Ambezi, Ambition, I like to call him Ambezi. It's Ambition. Yeah. For people listening, a- Ambition's a crazy MC out of Halifax. You guys put out this dope tape. Yeah, Tell yo, me about this. Yo, snares and claps. Yeah, this album, uh, this tape. It's actual cassette. When I say yeah. tape, I mean a physical. This is a tape. You yeah, need a actual... tape cassette player. Yeah, yeah. I don't think, I hadn't, I only ever released one cassette in my life, and it was with my band in grade ten. So I don't think that that counts. But I really wanted to. <laughs> I really wanted to. I really wanted to um, to do a cassette. And uh, record store day was coming up last year. And we want ambition, and I wanted to do a special record store day release. Uh, so we said, you know, why don't we do a cassette? And we sort of toyed with maybe putting out 
some stuff that we were recording for his next album or some stuff we were doing for a mixtape. But then we said, you know what, man, let's just get together. We got together for two days, uh, like 48 hours pretty much every all day, both days, and we did the whole project in two days' time. We made all of the uh, the beats in day one, and we uh, and he wrote some rhymes that day, and then the next day he came back and he recorded the the couple tracks that have rhyming on it. Uh, it's mostly a beat tape. There's like three tracks with rhyming on it as well. Um, yeah, and we finished the beats and did the arrangements and mixed it, and I did the cuts and uh, and banged it out and off to to be put on cassette. So nice. How many of these are out there? Uh, one hundred. That's awesome. Yeah, and then we put the download codes inside of them, and then uh, after it was released for about six or seven months, we put it up. It's online now if people want to get it for free. But sure. the cassette is the uh, is the where can they item. get that? Yeah, the cassette. I don't. There's no cassettes left. No, but where can they get the album? Oh, online? Band, on Bandcamp. Bandcamp. Yeah, yeah. Um, if under you check extremities it, yeah, or uh, under uh, yeah, it's under both both under extremities and ambition. So if you just search ambition Bandcamp or extremities Bandcamp, you'll find Yo Snares and Claps, and it's yeah, it's me and ambition doing beats together for the first time, and. Uh, yeah, I was really happy with how it turned out with for, for two days, you know, like I'm, I'm really stoked on it. Nice. Well, Ambition, I mean, he keeps playing me new beats and stuff. He's becoming quite the producer, too. Yeah, he is. You know, I think that like, I mean, people know him as an MC, and, uh, you know, to me, he's one of those guys, so I mentioned Process earlier, is a guy that every time he writes a song, it seems like he gets better, and that's, I mean, I work closely with, with Ambition, so I'm get the chance to see his writing process, but I feel like he's a guy that every song he writes, he gets better, and it's, it's scary, and, uh, and the production thing, two years ago, he sort of didn't tell anybody he just kind of quietly started to do it and he had been on the t- tour a lot with relic and kills and i at the time uh, and really all three of us were always making beats and talking and chop and he just was basically sponged and soaked it up um and then after a couple of months he was like hey guys we're making beats and like kind of like surprised everybody and sent us some stuff and we're like oh man you're good already oh yeah he <laughs> sent me that first beat tape i was like man this is great almost yeah. kind of like a dilla vibe yeah almost. he's super dilla influence yeah. he's on like sort of like the, the slumpy swung beats right now um you know so I, I yeah he's like he's super super dilla influenced uh when he started and he started developing his own style now and uh he's He's got a kid who's just over a year old, so the last year has been like a lot of like him and hanging out. Uh, He's in dad mode. Yeah, dad mode, like making beats with a crib next next to it. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, me and Ambition are working on some new stuff for this year that we're really excited. Right. About. So, so there's is it My Giants is coming out. My, there's yeah, there's a yeah, it's right an album called My Giants. That's me, uh, Tim Buck Two from uh, formerly of Toolshed, now of Swamp Thing. Um, shout out to Fun. Hell yeah. We like to have fun. Always. Um, and uh, yeah, it's myself, Timbuktu, and Ambition. I did all the beats on the record. I made all of... Uh, it's, it was kind of like a, a pet project of mine because I got to... I always wanted to make a hip-hop album that I produced all on samplers, like not software, but like... Uh, and I got to make a couple beats off an SB12, which was always a dream of nice mine. Nice classic. Yeah. Oh, I remember seeing SB12s in the back of the source. And yeah. Saying, oh, yeah. How yeah. does this work? I know yeah. this is how they make their beats. Yeah. DJ well, Premier uses this. Yeah, exactly. I <laughs> yeah. mean, there, there's such a uh, well, it has a very specific sound because of yeah. the, the filters and the compression in it, and it's only, it can only go up to what what we call 16 bits, which is a pretty low resolution, but it gives this really crunchy, fat sound to the drums that really defined a lot of early 90s rap music sound, and um, so it was always a dream of mine. It's funny because I actually read. I've actually found the manual and, and read the manual. So when I when it was re- Relic has an SB12 and he let me u- use it, borrow it for a while. And uh, and when I used it, when I got it, I knew how to use it right away. Like I didn't even have to like I knew, I'd read the manual so many times. And it's actually such a basic machine. And I had like gone through engineering school at that point, like for audio and stuff. That like I I had a beat going within like minutes. Like, That's amazing. So it was like this real. It was a really. It was like a big like experience for me. It was like sort of like this little like. Uh, 
full circle 360 moment for me. So I got to make some beats on the SP, and then I used Kills 1000 for a couple beats, and then I have a two, an MPC 2000 that I made the rest of the beats on at home. So, and then Tim Buktu and Ambition are rhyming, and um, and they're tall and I'm short, so they're my giants. <laughs> and, uh, it's re- I'm really super excited about the project, man. Um, uh, I've been doing so much produ- producing with Kills and the Extremities, and that's like been my main focus for so long. That to do a, to produce a solo project. Uh, was really a big pleasure for me, and Timbuktu was so much help in in mixing the album and and suggesting and sort of helping here and there on on some little elements in the beats and doing arrangements with me and stuff like that. And um, there's some things on the album that I'm really excited about, and I'm really happy that they happened on this record, and I feel really lucky. Definitely. When's that dropping? Uh, that's a good question. It's done. It's <laughs> mastered. Um, I think it's just post. But we want to get the back burner record out, and yeah. then once that's out, we're gonna the Giants album will be coming. Right. On. I'll play. I'll you know we'll. We'll make a mention of it on here, and we'll nice. play a track for sure awesome, when that drops. Awesome. That's exciting, because I, I always love hearing your beats, and I was thinking for a while, I was like, you know, Fest, I haven't heard many solo beats for Fest in a while, because we used to do a bunch of I mean, You yep. produced a few tracks for me over the yep. years, a bunch of my albums, Scova yep. Notions, you yep. made that, that track I always wow. loved. and Yeah, I mean, I've got some beats from yours of yours too that I was like I was even digging up recently I was like oh man whatever happened to this beat like we, we'll play them for you later I got one yeah. to be like oh what's going on with this one and anything ever happened on this and and that props department record remember yeah. that oh that, man that never came never out never came out no that that had uh, that was yeah that would have been a fun time yeah absolutely yeah yeah, it's yeah. I mean, I it evolved I think into the backburner album yeah like pretty much yeah, I was just yeah. gonna say it pretty much became the backburner record. Um, yeah, you know, um, I'm yeah. That's why I'm really excited about the album. I'm stoked to be able to like put myself out there as a solo producer a little bit more. You know, I've, so much of my energy has been devoted to the extremities. Kills and I have been putting our back behind that project big time over the last three or four years, and um, and to be able to produce this project was like a big breath of fresh air for me. And I'm like, I'm super excited about it. Super nice. About it. So, what are you what what are you using right now for beats? You're talking about the SP12. Like, do you have a favorite, a preferred way of making a beat? Uh, well, right now my my setup is I've got an MPC 2000. I have got an MPD 32, which is like a MIDI controller that looks like an MPC. It's kind of like the machine, but not the machine. Um, for those who make beats and know equipment, um, and that's connected to Logic Audio 9, which I use on my my laptop. And I've been using Logic since Kills and I started like 14 years ago. Yeah. We've been with that program, so we know it really well. And I also have my turntables and my uh, my mixer, and my crates, and um, some little like uh, you know plugins and keyboards and little synths and stuff like that. But mainly the MPC and the and Logic Audio uh, and turntables and records. That's my main that's my main jam. And you do a lot of sampling, but you'll also like play with stuff yep. and, and change things around and create original. Yeah. Beats and drums. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my my roots are sampling for yeah. sure. Like that's how I started, and that's what I that's how I learned to arrange and compose and to make music was by sampling and and putting to putting together beats and stuff like that. So that's where my heart's at. Like yeah. that's that's where and that's where I find I come up with my best ideas. Um, that's where I stuff where I find that I come up with the stuff that lasts the longest and the stuff that has ends up being the best material. Um, and I think it's just what comes most natural to me. And um, it's Excuse me. It's funny when Kills and I make beats together. Um, my uh, one of the biggest contributions I have is how fast and how well I can pair one sample with another sample, and that's just I think I, just a skill I've developed over the years with the, with my ears. And I can kind of go to a shelf and be like, "This record's going to have something," and I can kind of find it pretty fast. Um, so I feel like that's a big that's a big skill that I've developed. So that's really where the basis of of my my stuff lies. But then but then I also like play like I've learned to to play keyboards well enough to overdub some lines and I play a little bass and guitar so I try to get that stuff in there and 
Kills and I very much in the last couple of years have been into making beats, like with just samples, then getting uh, them charted and getting like a horn sections played and then getting samples replayed and then rechopping the things that we have replayed. So we're just trying to experiment and, mm-hmm. and find new sounds. And, and basically it's, it's really all sample-based stuff, but um, we use lots of other tools to help us uh, make it into more dynamic arrangements. Like that's one thing that the Extremities has done to my beats and to the way that Kills and I view beats in general is that we want to... We don't want to have like the same loop happening for like the three minutes. And I'm not even saying that a beat that a hip hop beat that does that is not good. Like I actually believe like it's it's a big theory of mine, or not a theory, but a big belief of mine that um, you can take something and just loop it. All you do is just loop it, and it becomes something completely new. And, and that's a completely creative thing to do, and it creates something uh, with merit on its own and has its own musical value. Um, there's this piece of audio I heard. Um, on this radio show called um, uh, uh, Radio Lab, sorry uh, for those if, who are into podcasts and stuff. Uh, radio Lab is my favorite podcast, and uh, and there was this episode where uh, there was a speech, a speech pathologist who was uh, who would uh, research and and look at speech and sort of pour over uh, recorded vocals and looking for speech patterns and and just basically researching the way people speak. And she had a reel to reel of tape, and someone she was listening to her. Sp- Self-recite something, some scientific text about about with the way we hear and the way we speak and stuff, and and she put it on a loop, and she went to get a coffee. When she came back, the loop had been playing long enough that what she heard, things that she thought were just words, had all of a sudden switched and had a melody to it. And she actually was the one that discovered that you can actually take anyone who speaks, like if you take any of these recordings that we have now in this podcast, and you take just a section of me talking. And you loop it after about a minute of hearing the same vocal, the same words looped over and over again, a melody will emerge. Anyone speaking any sentence, any combination of words, interesting, a melody will emerge. And that, and it, and it was a demonstration that if you pull something out of its context and repeat it, it becomes something completely new. And it was actually a discovery about how humans speak in melody, and we don't actually realize that we talk in melody. Oh, yeah, rhythm, absolutely. Yeah, so, guess, yeah. But if you loop any amount of any, any sentence you ever say, um, you'll eventually hear a melody in it. And, and that, it's, actually, it's actually a startling thing to do, because when you listen to the piece on the radio, at first it just sounds like she's speaking. And then all of a sudden, you're, something in your brain switches, and it sounds like she's singing out loud. It's really, really kind of remarkable. But anyway, to me, that really spoke about how the power of just looping something and taking it out of context creates something so new. Um, so, uh, you know, to get back to what, what I was saying about beats, like um, with the extremities, we've really been trying to incorporate elements to get away from just like looping and, and have more dynamic sections and really bring beats down and up and make change ups. And, and we've really been just been trying to challenge ourselves like a whole lot. Yeah, what you were just saying about the looping words. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what you do when you're scratching a sample yeah. when you're working. And a lot of people... People may not realize this, you know, I mean, the hip-hop heads listening definitely do, but some people may not know that when you sample a, when you hear a beat and then they're scratching on it, people are sampling vocals from other rap tracks, acapellas, and and something that's suited. I mean, there's a total art to that. Even just, there's an art to the selection of the, the samples you choose. Now, is this something you, it's back to your memory about records and, and yeah. you know. Well, it's, it's, it's a weird process because I'll, I'll basically, I'll hear a track I'll know the title. I, I like to know the title of a track. I, that's like, that's important to me because I, I try to, I try to like, you want to match the, you know, when you do cuts on a track as a DJ, um, a lot of the time it's going to be in a chorus scenario. Yeah. Um, 
And if it isn't a chorus scenario, then you have to represent that song, you know, like it's a chorus. You have to like be succinct and represent what that song is about. Um, and you have to be like accurate and like and make something that makes sense, you know. So you know, if I hear a song, I'll get the theme, I'll hear the title, um, and then uh, the ways that I find samples that I like to scratch are, you know, sometimes I'll just, you know, if the title of the track is incredible, then maybe I'll find somebody who says a sentence that has, you know, I'm uh, incredible. Yeah, I'm the super lyrical. I'm the incredible. Like, and then I'll <laughs> scratch that in. Or, yeah. Um, and, or sometimes I'll like I'll hear a beat and I'll all of a sudden like a sentence will just come into like a an old Wu-Tang line will come into my head and I'll be like that line is going to sound amazing on this track and even if it doesn't have to do specifically with what they're saying if it's like um you know if the track is a track about you know if the rap track we we'll back to this thing where the the rack the rap track is called incredible for you know and this rapper's rapping about being incredible well I might not have to find a line with him saying incredible I just may have to find a rap line about someone saying how good they are or how nobody can mess with them or how they're the best. So sometimes, a lot of the times, I'll hear a, a line in my head that's kind of a generic rap line that'll work in that kind of a context. Um, but mainly, I, I try to be a mix of what sounds good on that beat and what makes sense. Because sometimes, you know, I really struggle to find the, the exact words or things that are more succinct and more, and more accurately represented because they don't sound as good as they could over the beat. Um, so it's really a mix of finding uh, what sounds really awesome and what makes sense, and then I try to like to cut up a bunch of different ones to make my own sentences. Actually, so I'll take like a couple words from one sentence and a couple words from another sentence, and then a full phrase, and then so I like to mix and match and like you know even it's kind of like a patchwork. Almost. And that's a skill that you have, and you just have you've always had, and you just get better and better. And it's there's a real art to that. With with DJ, I mean that's something I want to talk about with you. The real art. To every aspect of DJing, mm -hmm. digging, I mean, mm -hmm. crate digging, yeah. that that's an art in itself. And knowing when you go crate digging, for those who don't know, crate digging is when you literally go looking for new records. Yeah, in crates. <laughs> in yeah. crates, yeah. at yard sales, at record yep. stores, at flea markets, wherever, yeah. on the side of the street. What do you look for? Do you, like... What what attracts you? Is it the the album art? Is it uh, what kind of instruments you this can is, find? This or? is gonna be this is gonna be the worst answer of all time. But <laughs> Kills and I have been doing a lot of digging like over the years, and in the last couple of years, it doesn't get it doesn't get less. It gets more. It gets crazier. Um, and as we've been lucky enough to tour around North America and go places, like we religiously hunt for records, like especially when we go to the states and play, because there's so much stuff that we don't have access to normally, and. Uh, some of the record stores down there are just out of control with the stuff you can, I mean, in terms of the stuff that we can't find, you know? We've been digging for long enough. Well, we're, we've sort of, we go to some record stores now in the cities that, well, definitely in the cities we live in um, and other cities that we go to a lot. And, you know, it's harder to find things that we want now. But in the beginning, it was like you'd know an artist and you'd see that artist playing on a different record. Or you'd know a record label, or you'd know a time period. You know, we, for a long time, we we had this idea in our mind that drums between 1967 and 1974 sounded the best. That's where you're going to get all your best stuff. And there is a concentrated amount of stuff yeah. in that in that time frame. Um, but that was just like a novice approach. You know, like a lot of the James Brown breaks came out in that time period. And, of course, and there's like there and is they've a, been used to death. Yeah, I exactly. Mean, and there's so a, many rap you know, songs of sample. Yeah, James and Brown. after '74, there's like a more disco-y sound of things. Yeah. So you have to sort of dig through that stuff a bit more. Uh, and also, 
as at that time we were interested in only making one style of rap music and that was really lent itself to the samples that came out of that time period and we also weren't accomplished enough producers to take different sounds and different samples and make them sound like we wanted or use them in a way that sounded dope you know like um but it was yeah, that's how it was. It was like producers, or or we'd see a one guitar player was on a bunch of records. It'd be like, oh, he only plays on really awesome records, or like you know, record labels, producers, different things like that. That's how we would do it. Yeah. So you're reading the credits on yeah, the back exa- covers. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then you know, like we we would study magazines and we would learn about people's discographies and read articles, and then, um, and then eventually it just it started to become the thing over the last number of years where it's like. It's just, we just go on instinct. We don't rely on, we don't really like research on the back of records anymore. We just flip through and it's just a, a, a vibe now. It's lame and as cliche as that sounds, but that's really what happens. And um, we like cheap records. So we try to go, like we've gotten into the thing like where we try to only buy like dollar records or two or three and see if we can find really amazing stuff for really cheap. And that way we sort of like increase our volume and we've both gotten good enough that it it is really an instinct an instinct thing now. Like and, and I like to go and off like artwork and like um a whole but a whole bunch of combined things. I think I've been doing it so long that my brain sort of combines a whole bunch of factors when I'm digging and then kinda like I get like a little like a little light goes off like ding when I see one that I think will be good. Sure. Now there's the whole there's a DJ code where you don't reveal your samples. And in hip hop in general, I mean I'll I'll do a show and someone will say, What did you sample for that? What is this? And I mean a lot of times I mean I don't I don't. I can't speak for other MCs, but I like to find samples, and I'm always yeah. listening for stuff. And then I yeah. I t- work with different producers to say, oh, let's try this sample. And then yeah. other times, someone will send me a beat. But are there any records that you found that you can't that you want to talk about that you just love and like this thing's a, a gem? I mean, maybe not something oh, that you sampled, yeah. but do you have any favorites that you found oh, that man, just like yeah. blew your mind? Or well, I'm weird with that. Like sometimes, and depending on what it is, I'll be super secretive. Um, or maybe just depending on the mood I'm in. What goes back uh, to old DJ, like the yeah, original uh, DJs too, oh, right? Yeah, that the people that taught me, um, it was a crime to reveal where your samples came from, and and it took like it took a long time to get the people who taught me to to show me stuff, you know, to show me what the, where their samples came from. Well, and, didn't like Grand Wizard Theodore like go back to like early days of hip hop? People used to cover, cover up the their labels. Albums, yeah, yeah, they put tape over yeah. so you couldn't see what they were playing. Well, I mean, at that time, that was really a commodity, right? And that was like. There was an artistic merit placed in having these records, um, and the DJ was such a such a way more uh, part of the culture at that time. I mean, there wasn't really people making beats, but DJs were making beats live for people to rap to and dance to and stuff. And when they were breaking the records back and forth, so they were like they were producers and DJs at that time, and um, you know that was your cachet was your was your samples like because so much stuff was still so untouched. The, the discovery process. Uh, was so much more part of the culture at that time. Uh, and now it's like so much stuff has been exposed um, that, you know, I generally feel less... I just want to teach people, you know? I, sure. I want to I teach young people coming up. Like, I've actually taught some production at school. You schools. just want to help the youth. You yeah, know? man, just, I do. Yeah. Like, it's kind of weird. Like, I actually feel torn about it because in a way I feel like I got to where I got to because people were really hard on me. Um, and didn't share that stuff with me and forced, yeah. forced me to find it out myself. Same here. I've um, self-taught. Yeah, yeah, where I think yeah. that's you know, <laughs> another you unifying thing. When yeah. we all got together, we were all like, well, I've just been doing this on my own. Yeah. Nobody <laughs> helped me out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, um, so I kind of want to make, like, because I feel like the good people will rise to the top no matter what, so I kind of feel like there's a merit to going through that. But at the same time, man, if there's a young producer I like and they come to me for advice, uh, which I've been lucky enough to have happen in my life over the next, last couple of years, um, 
you know, I generally will share a fair amount with them. Uncle Fess is a—he's here to give. Yeah, it's true. He's giving back to the kids. Yeah. So we got a little sidetracked, though. You were about to tell me what some of your fave records. Right. Are. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Um. Uh. Recently, one of my favorite records is a record by a guy named Paul Horn. Um, it's got an ugly duckling sample on it that I think everyone would. It's like the doom doom that famous baseline doom doom doom. Um, anyway, uh, nice. I think, yeah. I think it won't do that. Won't do. <laughs> no, won't, no. Won't tip people off. But if you know about uh, this group called Ugly Duckling, it's one of their most famous um, rap songs. It's got that sample on it, and um, uh, it's got a it's got a people under the stairs. I sample love on finding it. records that I you know. had no idea. It's like, oh man, that's from a J Live record. Yeah, yeah, uh, Jay Z yeah. used yeah, this. Exactly. Or, this is. Yeah, and, and and the whole record is just an amazing album. Uh, it's actually an album Joe Run put me up on. I was lucky enough to. Uh, I, I I'm not going to reveal too much here, but I worked somewhere, um, and because I worked somewhere, I was able to access a lot of records. And when and when they this place had no use for records anymore, I I got to walk away with a lot of records, and I'm very lucky. And uh, uh, I cared for those records for a long time, so people knew that I was I I would take good care of them, and they would have a good home. Um, but a uh, a local record store in Halifax, which Black Buffalo Records, which has really revitalized the digging scene in Halifax, and I love Black Buffalo and I love Ke- Kevin and his partner and and what they're doing over there. Uh, and 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 they actually bought the 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 rest of the collection that I got to pick through. And when I go in there, I see records that I didn't notice or wasn't able to get, and uh, uh, and it's really cool. And Joe actually pointed that record, and that came from that collection, and I didn't know it, and I didn't pick it out originally, and uh, and then I Joe pointed it out in the store, and I bought it from the store, and uh, um, man, it's the whole album is just and incredible. that's the Paul, yeah, Paul Horn, Paul yeah, she's got like a big yellow leaf on it, and my my man Cyberclops is probably gonna kill me for like exposing this record on the podcast <laughs> like it's like it's like his wife hey it's your choice yeah, yeah, no, yeah. I, know, I know it's a uh, shout out to Cyberclops if he hears this he's my dude down in Oakland uh, it's his white whale it's the record that he wants most in life um, so uh, I know his boy Durazo has a copy for him so oh yeah I know Durazo so yeah, yeah. If hopefully Durazo will get that to Cyberclops and, and sorry Clops for exposing that record on, on a podcast I'm sorry well, it's funny now can you think of any records that are kind of the most sampled like you've heard it a million times I mean I can think of there's definitely stuff that you're like I've heard this so loop much. a million times before yeah yeah I mean um, some records that come to mind um, that I just have in my collection recently actually speaking of Cyberclops when I was in the bay in the fall I was digging with Cyberclops in San Francisco and uh, I picked up a Mike McDonald record and people know Mike McDonald for singing very cheesily like singing Motown songs very badly like he doesn't enunciate he's like he's like that guy um, uh, but he's the sample for Regulators uh, is on that track is on that album rather uh, and the sample's incredible Warren Regulator G. Regulators uh, Regulators Okay, um, I'm thinking regulate Warren G. No, sorry, it is. You know, it is. It is regulate Warren regulate G. Warren sorry, G. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, yeah. that sample is also used on Young MC's yes. album, uh, the one after Stone Cold yeah. Rhyme and yes. Kicking the Flavor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. they both. Yeah, yeah, I think he got. It's such a funky loop. And yeah, it's so yeah. Um, so that yeah, that, that that album is terrible, but that but that sample is incredible, and that's on there. Yeah, and I just think that popped into my mind. I mean, it's not a. Not a lot of uh, the rest of the record has been sampled, but that's just a really famous sample. Um, there's also a record um, that I got called uh, by a guy named Labby Sifra, who probably, people probably don't know. It's a weird record. If people know um, Mayor Hawthorne, um, he did an album where um, I think it was Strange Arrangement, where he was on the on a sort of like a fancy mahogany desk on the cover, and it was like a kind of an old style setting. The the uh, it's a ripoff of the Labby Sifra cover actually, um, and. Uh, 
And that album has like "Hi, My Name Is" by like Eminem on it, and it has like uh, the, the yeah, whole yeah. the whole album yeah. is actually like packed with samples that people have used before. Um, there was a I w- where was I? I was at like some cafe recently, and Juicy Fruit came on, and that's what sample what yeah yeah Puffy sample for yeah. Juicy. And yeah, it, it's so interesting how like they just straight jacked that sample. Yeah, oh, yeah. And Juicy's so well-known. I mean, you yeah. probably hear Juicy in a cafe now, yeah. which is a weird... <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> There's another... That's a difference from, you know, 90s rapping. Oh, my God, You know, yeah. being around then to being around now when you hear Wu-Tang... No, it's just what's... Come on like, at the grocery store. <laughs> no, I know, right? It's it's so we're not quite there yet, but... No, but, man, we're not... We're honestly not yeah. far. We are really not far from that, uh, which is kind of like... I think there was a time where I would have thought that was the awesomest thing in the world, but now I'm kind of like, I don't know how I feel about that. I remember not feeling good when ODB rapped on a Mariah Carey song. I was like, my sister's listening to ODB. This is weird, you know? I mean, it was good for ODB, but yeah. I mean, that was, you know, Mariah Carey always kind of had a bit of cred with the underground rap scene, I guess, probably because she was hot. Yeah, but, I think you know? so. I think <laughs> like Mob Deep did a track yeah, with her yeah, yeah. and ODB and Biggie. Yeah, doing tra- a track with ODB pretty much gives you instant cred. Though. Yeah, like, uh, yeah, I know. guess so. But it's so crazy. I mean, Jesse and I were talking about Run the Jewels. I mean, just seeing how that is now become such a mainstream record yeah. and it's 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 cool to see oh man it's so cool when good see. rap makes it to more man, ears that's always a good thing i love that i love man yeah absolutely i couldn't agree with you more it's funny like when kendrick lamar first came out um kendrick lamar is the not not the the most like groundbreaking mc in the world but kendrick lamar is an incredible rapper yeah i like kendrick and, and, yeah, and, sure. and he's doing different things and that that new song he did on colbert a couple weeks ago was like really different and like really incredible like super lyrical um, so the fact that like an MC of that caliber is as popular as he is makes me so excited. Makes yeah. me so excited because that just means like that, you know that that like the people who make uh, more thoughtful and more complicated albums or or like put some more time into it and don't sort of follow the formula that everybody else has uh, can make a ma- major massive impact. And I think that Run the Jewels is another example. I mean, those guys have. Those guys are so in tune with with what's happening now in the world and what people want to hear and with what people want to express and like uh, you know I think their message is really important and like and their vibe is so dope and they're cutting edge in their music you know it's really awesome like the fact that Nas signed them to a, a record deal right like that's an incredible thing yeah it's an incredible thing for someone of Nas's stature to uh, to recognize what's going on with uh, with that record and to put it on such a platform. Well, to Nas's credit too, I think he's always been a bit of a head. You yeah. know, Nas Nas obviously knows. I mean, he's yeah. one of the greatest of all time. I've yeah. always been a huge Nas yeah. fan, but Nas Nas still keeps his ears yeah, and to I mean, the right you know, speakers. Nas is not signing Riff Raff to a record deal. He's signing Around the Jewels, and I think that that's a uh, something we should celebrate. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But what do you think in terms of DJs right now? Who's who do you feel is kind of killing it? Other than yourself and guys holding it down like Joe Run. Yeah, I mean, that's such a... I mean, turntablism, again, I feel like we we keep coming back to that. There are a lot of rap records that I've heard in the last two or three years that do not have any DJ on it, which is just, to me, I'm like, how are you doing this? And rap shows. Like, you go to a rap show and there's no DJ? Yeah. You need a DJ. Yeah, it's weird. I mean, like, DJing is really changing, and uh, for the better and for... uh, I mean, for the better overall for the art form of DJing, but um, not necessarily for the better when it comes to hip-hop music, I don't think. Um, 
Well, Serato. I mean, yeah. I mean, I like, mean that's whole. That's a one whole other level yeah. of replacing the yeah. crates, lugging a crate to a show. I mean, I, yeah. when I used to DJ shows in Halley, the Grad House, I remember lugging crates over in a cab, yeah. and to, to you me, know, we've always yeah. done that. I mean, yeah, the change from vinyl to Serato for me um, is I describe it this way: it's like you play a saxophone, and you had a saxophone that had an anchor on it the whole time. And then you get to remove the anchor and play your saxophone like normal. That's what Serato was. You don't change, you know, still two pieces of vinyl. For those you know. who may not know what Serato is, yeah. you're playing files off your computer as opposed to changing records. records yeah. And there is a simulated vinyl disc, a vinyl. It's like yeah. a rubbery plate that you uh, well, scratch. Yeah, it, it depends well, it, what yeah, your, your yeah. setup is. Yeah, my Serato setup, I actually use a real piece of vinyl yeah. that just has what we call time code on it, which is just a really a high-pitched noise that goes through the needles and then in through the mixer and then into my computer and tells the files on my computer to play as if they were on my records and that comes back to the mixer. So I can, you know, I scratch the piece of vinyl on my record and it moves an MP3 on my computer. It's amazing. I mean, yeah, it is yeah. incredible. So the dynamic, so like the mechanics are exactly the same as using a vinyl, um, except I can do use anything that's on my computer like it's on my on my record. So, um, you know, and it also allows me to not ruin my records, you know. You or know, your back. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> I actually, it's insane to me that I used to bring crates of records to the class. I remember carrying crates with you it's many like, times. It's actually yeah. insane to me. Like, I actually feel like crazy that that happened. Of course. <laughs> so, yeah. So, I mean, but I do think it's unfortunate and kind of whack that scratching is going away um, because turntables to this day are really the only way to accurately and, and to, or to like, you know, you can't scratch in any other kind of a DJ format uh, in the way that you can scratch with vinyl. You just can't. Like, it's a much deeper, richer, uh, uh, and there's just, there's more you can do. It's like playing a six-string guitar, guitar versus a two-string guitar, you know? Um, you can still do awesome. Well, things. it's an instrument. Yeah, it's exactly. the, the turntable is an instrument, yeah. and the way it's developed yeah. over the years, I don't think it's ever going to go away. But definitely, right now, we're yeah. I in mean, the, in mainstream rap, I mean, you're not hearing yeah, a I lot mean, of it. And there's just been a, say that mainstream yeah. rap. I just don't find the scratching as accurately and and juggling records, um, and that and just that vibe of of mixing in a record manually with your hands that just isn't represented in those other formats and. Uh, and that's a whole sound, and that's a whole technique in its own that's being lost on record. And I think that that needs to come back. Like last year when I played at the East Coast Music Awards out on Prince Edward Island, I was the only DJ on the island who had turntables. Yeah, yeah. Me, we, we played, went, we played at 4 a.m. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I was the only DJ on the island with turntables, and I really felt like that was a moment for me where I really, uh, it really struck me how much the times were changing in terms of DJing and, and what was happening and uh and I, and I love that, actually. I really do love that, but I just feel that there's... The, on record, It's being you can hear the loss of the DJ elements on record, and I think that that's a real shame. And, uh, and, I, and I just need to... See, I really want to see that stuff come back and to come back to, to who, what DJs are influencing me these days. It's that, um, you know, I don't see a lot of new turntablists uh, that really excite me. Um, you know, like I can't name like like all the names I want to tell you. I feel like are old names. You know, like names that have been around forever, like Z Trips and Jazzy Jeffs, and like, and you know, your Scratch Perverts over in England, and your your Scratch Pickles, and your Mister Dibbses, and your you know what whatever, right? Like, I mean, a lot of those guys are still doing their thing and still DJing, and um, you know, those guys are still really inf influential to me because I want to hear that. You know, for me, if I listen to a DJ mix or or am, or am interested in what a DJ is doing. Um, it's got to be off turntables because that's the sound and that's the it's just the style that I'm and I'm interested in. You can play any kind of rap music 
off a turntable. So like clubby stuff, trappy stuff. But if you're doing cool scratch techniques and you're doing uh, interesting mixing blends and, juggling, and mixings, yep. and yeah, you know, like... Um, well, Halifax DJs, and you know, you and I may be biased, but Halifax, the turntable scene there has always been crazy. Yeah, we, I mean, I with with Joe and Buck sixty five yeah. and yeah. six two yeah. and Scratch Bastard coming up, and, we punch and then way above Cosmo. Way. I mean, everybody just coming up. Yeah. Why rush? I mean, we know so many. Yeah, people. it's crazy. I mean, we've we've punched way above our yeah. weight for DJs. Way above shut our up. Weight. Yeah, Playboy, of course, everybody. Yeah. IV can't forget. Yeah, you know, yeah you I mean, we even them. we even had a strong like rave scene and yeah. drum bass and jungle scene and like I mean I don't I don't know the names there but I know that the crates go deep. Yeah, Hallie. they go really deep and yeah, like, uh, it's got a very very strong scene that way. So yeah, well DJOs are still taking you know DJOs are still going down right yes. like yeah, yeah. So, techniques I mean, this, tournaments yeah, and everything yeah, yeah. yeah. So oh yeah do, and of the course there are a lot of dope DJs out there you know shout out everybody who's DJing yeah. and turn and keeping turntablism yeah. going and yeah. and you know if you're putting out albums put out some make sure you put some scratches on them yeah. Exactly. You know, we like, you know, we're, that's with, you know, the Backburner album and, you know, all my records. It's yeah. like, I know I can't put this out until we get some cuts on it because yeah, it yeah. just won't, it won't sound complete. It's yeah. like the a plate that's missing a, yeah, a side yeah. of food, you know? And, and, and I think, you know, it's funny. There's some styles of rap music that haven't historically had a lot of DJ elements in them. And I really, that's a shame, you know, like... um that's why DJs like uh, Chris Kyrens, who's Yellow Wolf's DJ, some of the Southern style DJs who are incredible technical, technically wise. Like, I want to hear more like DJs like getting creative on like trap records and like double time stuff. Exactly. And, like you know, like I want to hear them scratching in like horn elements. Well, where's like, Drake's DJ? Yeah, you know, Dude, you know, I mean, I'm just thinking. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You know, like that's there's so much room in that style of of rap music for a DJ element. It's, yeah. It's the, the, and you know what, man? Like nobody's doing it. So, like. You know that that's wide open. You should be you should be getting in there fast. Yeah, someone <laughs> someone very mainstream needs to yeah. hire me to be their DJ. Yeah, why not? <laughs> so you do a lot of live DJing, both with the extremities on your own for DJing for you know myself, other people, ambition, yep. and you've had some pretty big names. Like even in the last year or two, yeah. you've DJed for some crazy people like yeah. Raekwon and Ghostface. Yeah, yeah. Back in October, Wu Tang. Yeah, in, that's what was that like? Uh, it was crazy. <laughs> it was you know there's really nothing. <laughs> yeah, I you know, imagine. What do, you, what do you say about that? I mean, you know, like I those guys are my heroes, man. Like I grew like that Wu Tang, Thirty Six Chambers changed my life. You know, like. Straight up, that was a massive album in my lifetime. I bought everything they put out for a very long time. You're preaching to the choir, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. Like they, those guys are. Um, so you know, I got the call to that they needed a DJ, and I jumped immediately. You know, got to the venue, and then they showed up, and uh, I had their beats already. Their manager sent their beats to me, the package of what they were doing. So I kind of had it ready in my Serato, and they showed up, and they came in, and Ghostface was like, "What a DJ? Who the DJ? Like, who's the DJ? Where are you at?" And I was like, "Yeah, you know, kind of like sheepishly on my that's me." It's me, Ghostface, and came over. He gave me a big hug, and uh, and Raekwon and him sort of whisked me back into their private area, and they were like, you know, come back here. You don't, you know, you you come back here with us, and they they literally sat me on a coach, and Raekwon sat on my right, and Ghostface sat on my left, and as they were sitting down, Ghostface was like kind of pushing his butt into the coach and like talking about how comfy it was and cracking jokes, <laughs> and like Raekwon's uh, kind of just like being like, yo, you're so silly tone, like you're so, you know, like they had a real big brother little brother relationship. Um, you could tell that those guys like love each other and uh, and love doing music together. And uh, you know they sat me between them, and you know we 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 put the set together. You know they we the three of us collaboratively put it together and decided what what order we were going to do things in. And uh, you know they were real sweethearts, man. They were really good to me, and uh, but they were demanding and they were professional. And like 
Raekwon was like, you know, you know, do you got any soul records in here? And I showed him some of the Motown instrumentals I had made and and he was like really stoked on those and he got me to like loop some things up and like really kind of complicated stuff before, you know, we're 10 minutes till we go on. Yeah, yeah. And he's giving me kind of complicated instructions and I'm not going to say no to Wu-Tang, you know? <laughs> There's no way, dude. Like, I'm like... I'm like you don't a, say no to Wu-Tang. No, I'm in a dream sequence at this point, pretty That's much. That's crazy. Right? Yeah, like, see, you're going so fast. I mean, I want to know, like, what was your brain like when you got that phone call... Yo, Fess, um, can you DJ tonight? Um, yeah. Who's it for? Well, I mean... Raekwon and Ghostface. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah, I didn't think it was going to happen. Like, I got the call the day before. Um, some friends were looking out for me, and they had heard that they needed a DJ, and, and they were in a position to, to speak up and say, we know the guy. Um, and then I got a call, and then I was told I would be getting another call. And and you know, I, and then sort of like the calls never really came, and, and it was a day before the show, and then the next morning happened, and I sort of... Didn't think it was going to materialize, but then someone assured me, no, no, it's going to happen. It's just, you know, we're picking them up at this time at the airport and, you know, we'll let you know. And then, of course, you know, they're late getting in and then um, they, they, you know, they had some things they wanted to do when they got in. They wanted to go pick up some, some sneakers and get a bite to eat. And so, you know, things got really delayed and I wasn't really sure and showed up at the venue. And then all of a sudden, you know, the manager sent the beats and they showed up and away we went <laughs> that's crazy so when you get the beats were you like yeah i know this one i know this oh one. It, no it was crazy like it was cra- i mean i had a lot of them in my crates already right <laughs> you're like you want me to play this on wax yeah yeah yeah. but i mean uh, i mean you know they obviously have special versions for shows and you don't want to make any of stuff but i actually i actually put together a bunch of instrumentals just in case right yeah because like, I, I want you know if ghostface and rays are like yo do you have this track i want to have the track you know um and I mean, it was really important to me to be be very prepared and to do whatever they wanted because a lot of times, man, big acts come in and their DJ can't make it or they don't bring a DJ with them and they rely on a local DJ. And that's a really tough position to be in, to be yeah. able to perform at a level, at that kind of a professional level with an act you've never absolutely, performed with Absolutely, absolutely. And, and, you know, a lot of big MCs get kind of pissed when the DJ screws up. And I, I did not want to be that DJ who gets called out on stage like, oh, check, bring the DJ, that's the wrong track, bring it back. No, what's up with this DJ? You know, like, there's I was not getting played out like No, that man, stage, Uncle Fest man. was the right man for the so, job. So, you know, but sitting down, it was a dream sequence, man. Yeah. Sitting there with those guys, I was like... I was a kid again, and like the fact that they were so good to me, and the fact that like Ray is asking me what we should do in the set, and you know, like they decide like on the spot, um, they decided that we were going to bring a coach out on the stage, and they were going to bring the lights down, and they were going to be asleep on the coach, and they'd bring the lights up, and I would drop go to uh, can't go to sleep by Ghost, and he'd wake up off the coach and start kicking. That's how we started the show. Amazing. Um, so you know, like so just some awesome moments. Did you work in ice cream? Did they do ice cream? Oh man, we did everything. Dude. See, we did like yeah. it was a massive set, and like I think three quarters of the way through the set. Um, um, bad, bad, and not good came up, and they yeah. they did some renditions live. Yeah, because they're working on a record yeah, with Ghost yeah. and MF Doom's on it too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They did like uh, some ODB songs with nice. Bad, Bad, Not Good, and they did. Oh man, it was it was just crazy. You know, like I'm dropping Soul Records and then hitting stop on the Soul Records and scratching in Black Jesus and like you know like I I remember specifically I was I was about to drop Wu Tang Clan ain't nothing to mess with, and I was like I was you know I was in my right hand on the turntable. And I'm getting ready for them to, you know, to stop the next track on on cue and then drop into this one. And I'm just thinking, like, at this point, I was like on stage long enough that I was getting comfortable. I wasn't so like, 
worried about screwing up the whole time, you know, like, you know, because it, it's funny, you know, I get on stage and DJ and I never feel nervous now because I've been doing it so long. Yeah. Uh, it's just excitement, you know. It's well, just, you're home. You're on, yeah. like, I feel when yeah. I'm on stage, yeah. I'm, I'm at home. It's yeah, so exactly. comfortable. I don't, you know. But I was, you know, it was, uh, I was back to being, I yeah. felt like I was a rookie again, you know. Yeah. On stage with those guys. and That's crazy. But I remember there was a moment where I got really started to get comfortable again on there and get in my groove again and I was um, about to drop, which I had nothing to mess with and I was just, kind of had a moment like, whoa. Like I've seen them, like I'm up on a riser and the crowd's going crazy and they're in front of me rocking and I'm just like, holy crap. I'm I mean, like, that's a high point of your, yeah, your DJ yeah, career yeah, for absolutely, sure. absolutely, man. Those guys were heroes of mine. And, you know, they were, it was an amazing set and it went off really well. And, and man, Halifax doesn't know, but they got a crazy show because they did things that they never do together. They don't perform together super often. And backstage, they said stuff that they didn't say to the audience, which was that, you know, they do, they did some of those songs that they never do together ever. So um, that was really cool, and uh, and it was also really cool to see how much of a head heads those guys are. Yeah. You know, those guys love the music. Raekwon is a crazy lyric head. You can tell that that guy loves rhyming, and he loves other people's lyrics. Um, and he's a super, you know, super quiet, close to the chest dude. But you can tell that he loves rap music, and yeah. that that was really dope to see. And where was the show at? It was at um, the. It was like a complex off of the Halifax Forum. It's right. like a certain a certain type of room. It's like a big event room, and. Yeah, it was in the that form has seen some crazy shows. In yes, the day. yeah, it certainly. Has. There's that infamous Keith Murray. <laughs> oh my God! Yeah, show from like '94 or something. Oh man, '93. When, when big rap concerts came to Halifax in the early '90s, it was a big deal. I think he performed. He was on and off in 20 minutes. I believe that was the story. <laughs> uh, I yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. So, are you a Wu affiliate now? I, I I would like to think so. Are you yes. Uncle Uncle Wu? Uncle Wu, yeah. <laughs> they um, got a Papa Wu. It's true. Well, do you know what? I figure like if if someone comes to uh, Eastern Canada again, a Wu person, and I get the call again, then then I think like I'm just gonna start saying I'm a Wu. Like yeah, I, I think I, two times. You know, one time you just like you, you do someone a favor. You're, you know, it's cool. Like, but you know, more than once, and like we'll we'll throw the I'll, I'll put on the. Put on a leather jacket with a B on the back. Two times equals Wu times. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> exactly. What's the what's the protocol on candy? Because here there's like a whole bunch of little candies, and then there's like one really big, long, like <laughs> obviously more decadent and expensive candy. So like, who does anyone ever have the gall to take the big candy? You are allowed to eat candies. I mean, what? Yeah, fast on the weekend. You know, you are allowed to eat any candies you want. We got it's like it's like the good house on Halloween that has the big candy oh, bars. Nice. <laughs> I feel like there's like there's because there's like there's one that's a little bit bigger. I feel like it's a trap. No, it's go like, for that. No, I don't. I actually don't want it. It's but, just the last one. All okay. the other ones got eaten. I figure it's like I figure Try maybe it. it's it's like it's, I figure we it's got like, some jujubes here. We got some skittles. I know. I know. It's like, Jesse. Like, D, I'm surprised there are skittles left. He was going hard <laughs> on those skittles. <laughs> I know, man. Man, we just get some more pop and some chips and get some movies for later. Yeah, It'll definitely. Oh man. Well, I remember. I mean, early days too. Going before I think even before cream of wheat I remember being at your place just hanging out having pop and chips and there's a line on cream of wheat where I say hanging out with some pop and chips just chilling talking about hip hop and shit and that was what we always used to do I remember mm-hmm. you know you like your pop and chips I like my pop and chips yeah man soda that's soda for our, our American, American listeners friends. yes yeah. that's right soda <laughs> we call it pop I think most people get it now yeah. and the pop shop used to be the pop oh, shop over in the yeah. north end yep yeah, lime crush. Drank a lot of lime crush. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, pop confuses Americans. As does milk in bags. Milk in bags is one thing I discovered. You know, it's funny. There's two things that that Americans would always talk about when when Kills and I were on our our tour of the South and Southwest in October, um, down the states. There's two things that people would mention 
unanimously everywhere. And it wasn't hockey, and it wasn't A, and it wasn't any of those other Canadian cliches. And I'm serious. Everywhere I went, everywhere I went, people would talk to me about two things about Canada. Ketchup chips? Nope. Milk and bags. (laughs) And the trailer park boys. Yeah. I actually was astonished. Like... There's nothing more famous in America right now from Canada than the Trailer Park That's Boys. That's true. I, yeah, I was in Orlando. People were talking to me about Trailer Park Boys. No, they couldn't believe you're from Nova Scotia or yeah. Trailer Park Do Boys. You know some of them. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's like you become famous because you're from a little town and you yeah. happen to know some people. Um, but no, it's funny. Like mil- milk and bags really confuses Americans, and they think that uh, a lot of people are like the Trailer Park Boys from Canada. Yeah. So that's my that's my two discoveries about about recent Americana. <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing to see what catches on there. Mm-hmm. We were just watching Gone Girl last night, and there's like a bunch of Canadian references in that movie just randomly. Like Neil Patrick Harris is like, "Oh, I'm from Winnipeg," <laughs> or Homeland. Homeland, I think, because I've kind of been hooked on that show, mm-hmm. Homeland. I don't know if you. I've never seen it. it. No, there are Canadian references all the time. They shouted out Nova Scotia. Uh, there's Toronto. It, it's weird. I don't know if it's Canadian writers mm-hmm. on there or they just think it's an easier to just say a Canadian name than yeah. an, an American. City. It's kind of cool if you're an American show and you say like a, cool, a Canadian name. I get pumped. Oh, if I hear Halifax oh, or man. Toronto on a show. It's... Nova Scotians don't love anything yeah. more than when mainstream <laughs> mentions us. Like We get so excited about that. So, so true. Excited. So true. So what's, what's happening right now? You got My Giants coming out. Yeah, My Giants is coming out. Me and uh, Fresh Kills are working on our new project. We're hopefully going to release two albums this year. Nice, nice. Uh, an- another remix album, a follow-up to our Refresh remix project. Uh, and we're going to also do our new Extremities record. Yeah. Uh, Ambition, we have the My Giants thing. Uh, Ambition and I are working on Cream Part 3. We have a mixtape series called Kicks Rule Everything Around Me. Part 1 and Part 2 are out for free on Bandcamp. And if they're you check dope. Those. Cop those for sure. And uh, we have Part 3, Cream 3D, coming out this year, nice. hopefully. Um, it's going to come with 3D glasses. I, I hope it's going to come, I hope it's not just going to be a name. <laughs> <laughs> you could do some kind of 3D yeah. art, make uh, a poster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we're going to do something like that. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and so, you know, there's always a ton of, of rap music happening. I'm going to be working, Fortunato moved out east, and uh, him and I are going to be working on some stuff together. Cool, cool. Um, so and uh, and I'm gonna do my own personal mixtape this year. I got like just a mixtape of my favorite rap songs that I'm currently listening to, uh, and also I'm toying with the idea. And this is the this is the first time I'm gonna make this public uh, of doing a a retrospective mixtape on Backburner Posse cuts over the years because so many there are so many albums from us in the crew like solo albums and crew albums and group albums. I mean, us we we have a crew of put out over 50 albums. Like, yeah, that's crazy. It's insane, the amount of records. And uh, and there's one thing that we do very well over the years, and that's a posse cut. Yeah, that's what Jesse and I were talking uh, you about. Know, uh, really? That's yeah, awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we do posse cuts really well. and, and, I, and That's what the whole Eclipse album is. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. And Heat Wave. I mean, that's what yeah. they're about, you know? Yeah, and uh, so I'd like to take sort of the best of the posse cuts from all of our solo albums from over the years and, uh, and make a mixtape of it and just like... You know, it'd be back burner the posse cut mixtape featuring everybody. Yeah, that'd you know? be amazing. Because <laughs> it would be, I think the mixtape would feature everybody in Canadian rap. Because I mean, like, <laughs> we've got so many people on our tracks over the years. Yeah, that'd be uh, crazy. You know, we've all met so many people and have such big networks and such big music families. And uh, I've been lucky enough to work with so many amazing Canadian MCs. Like, I feel like that, that mixtape would have a track listing that would be really crazy. So, yeah. So I'm, I'm sort of been sort of. L- Picking my favorite ones, and I'm going to start talking to the homies and the crew and see what they what their opinions are and what I should take. And I think uh, you should do that. Yeah, and I and that's a, uh, something I'm looking at this year too. So backburner fans, look good for the backburner posse cut mix. mix nice, 
Now, are there any any truth to the rumor there's a backburner posse cut on the next Extremities album? Uh, yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So it's, that's, I think it's, that's uh, exciting. Yeah, I think we're over we're overdue. I mean, when Extremities started, um, part of what Extremities initially was was us getting away from what we were doing. Um, because Kills and I were behind the scenes on so many things that we really started to really hunger and really want to get our own stuff out there and be able to perform without MCs and like really push our own stuff out there as well. You know, we really, it became a major theme in, in what we were doing and we became really, uh, um, really pushed and, and sort of motivated to go in that direction. So initially I think the extremities thing for us was, um, was we just needed to, uh, musically we wanted to like go in a completely different direction. Not, well, not a completely different direction, but we wanted to explore different territory. Um, uh, and uh, well, yeah, you're both so heavily involved in everybody's albums. So. Yeah, 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 and we wanted to sort of just like, branch out and really create our own. It was a it was a real thing for us to try to create our own identity as as a group and as artists, and not just be backburner compilation albums, you know, um, because we really wanted people to know who we were, and we wanted to put our stamp on things. And you know, Kills really came out with his MPC routines, and and then we're now we're doing the Extremities routines together, and um, and I really pushed myself as a DJ through those times really yeah. hard too. And uh, so, you know, and, and now we're at a place where we have an identity and we're really comfortable with who we are and what we're doing. And, uh, um, and yeah, a backburner posse cut on an extremities album is long overdue. Yeah. Well, I mean, you two are basically two of the main founders of backburner, yeah. which yeah. I don't think a lot of people know. I yeah. mean, people who listen yeah. to the extremities now yeah. may not even know that you guys yeah. basically started backburner. I mean, yeah. It was kills. It was you. You know, yeah. it was you guys there, like we talked about earlier. So that's fresh. I mean, you know, I always love what I love hearing new stuff from you guys. The routines are crazy. People have to go check your stuff out online. You got new videos dropping, like new yeah. uh, routines with yep. you, uh, your turntablism and kills on the MPC. That's right. Yeah, we just dropped a new one this week. Yeah, uh, and you know, you can just go to our YouTube, search extremities, and uh, and you'll find all of, all of our routines. The thing is, is that it's, it's what's funny about it for us. What we got laughs at is that like now we're touring more than we ever have and we're at an age now where um we have to do things like do a little bit of exercise every day because we because <laughs> if we sit in a car because when you're on tour oh i know if you, yeah. sit, if you sit in a car every day and you, you know you you get up you get in a car you spend like hours and hours in a car and we all of a sudden have to start doing all these things that we never used to have to do like really pay attention to our regimen each day and well like, in general even if yeah. you're not touring i think yeah. exercise yeah. and eating healthy yeah, of course is- <laughs> of course but you know what i mean like when you're yeah, when yeah. You're, when you're on the road and you're in a car every day like it's not necessarily something people would think that you would have to do in order to to stay healthy on the road and to not feel like crap every day like uh, it's been really nice kills and i have been yeah. uh, have been really hitting the road hard but uh we're old men on the road out there. We got to. T- <laughs> we're out there. We're working out every day and, and eating healthy and and, and not partying at there all. There you go. Well, keep an eye out for the extremities in your town and uh, bring them an apple or something. You yeah, know, come, come on to their show. Yeah, you know? bring a smoothie. Say, yeah, <laughs> take them for a walk. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> bring a bring a ball. We'll go shoot some hoops with you. It'll be cool. Right on, yo, fast. Thanks for coming through, oh, man. No problem, man. Good luck to you, and uh, you know we'll be hanging soon. I'm yeah, glad you swung man. by, man. Absolutely. All right, homie. Weekend at Burgies. Peace. Peace.
not one, we are also a mixture. Pour me a cup and pass the elixir. Live life through a change and not as a mixture. Take a step back and see the big picture. One, two, three, that's elementary math. Four plus more, that's the size of the cast. D-E-R-T's good for a laugh. My favorite old jam, head the streets made of gas. With a piece that is fast, with breaks up the ass. Work off of what we get and make the rest out of ashes. Magic glasses, avoiding car wrecks and crashes, or anything else that might put us in a casket. Take a swig quick from the big dick Is the jig hit and listen elsewhere to find a big kid Move a ligament, try to prove that it's ignorant If the truth is a figment, why are you speaking indignant? Geocentric is egocentric Money clips and gunny grips Limit benefit and do no end of it Cause I meant it when I said it, so don't forget it So get the peace by keeping your peace on letting Shoot from the ground on up, that's the motto This ain't no goddamn message in a bottle Sometimes life can make things hard Put the pedal to the metal, throw it down on the throttle The hotter it gets, the colder we feel In the back with that over the shoulder
life through us here tonight is a fixture Take a step back and see the big picture We are not one, we are also a mixture Pour me a cup and pass the elixir Live life through us here tonight is a fixture Take a step back and see the big picture of the Modern Superior Media Network.